Let us pray. Remember your mercies, O Lord, and with your eternal protection sanctify your servants, for whom Christ, your Son, by the shedding of his blood, established the Paschal Mystery, who lives and reigns forever and ever. A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. See, my servant shall prosper. He shall be raised high and greatly exalted. Even as many were amazed at him, so marred was his look beyond human semblance and his appearance beyond that of the sons of man. So shall he startle many nations. Because of him, kings shall stand speechless. For those who have not been told shall see. Those who have not heard shall ponder it. Who would believe what we have heard? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up like a sapling before him, like a shoot from the parched earth. There was in him no stately bearing to make us look at him, nor appearance that would attract us to him. He was spurned and avoided by people, a man of suffering, accustomed to infirmity. One of those from whom people hide their faces, spurned, and we held him in no esteem. Yet it was our infirmities that he bore, our sufferings that he endured. While we thought of him as stricken, as one smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our offenses, crushed for our sins. Upon him was the chastisement that makes us whole. By his stripes we were healed. We had all gone astray like sheep, each following his own way. But the Lord laid upon him the guilt of us all. Though he was harshly treated, he submitted and opened not his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, or a sheep before the shearers, he was silent and opened not his mouth. Oppressed and condemned, he was taken away, and who would have thought any more of his destiny? When he was cut off from the land of the living and smitten for the sin of his people, a grave was assigned him among the wicked and a burial place with evildoers, though he had done no wrong nor spoken any falsehood but the Lord was pleased to crush him in infirmity. If he gives his life as an offering for sin, he shall see his descendants in a long life, and the will of the Lord shall be accomplished through him. Because of his affliction, he shall see the light in fullness of days. Through his suffering, my servant shall justify many, and their guilt he shall bear. Therefore, I will give him his portion among the great, and he shall divide the spoils with the mighty, because he surrendered himself to death and was counted among the wicked, and he shall take away the sins of many and win pardon for their offenses. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. 
letter to the Hebrews. Brothers and sisters, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has similarly been tested in every way yet without sin. So let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and to find grace for timely help. In the days when Christ was in the flesh, he offered prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And when he was made perfect, 
he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. Christ became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because of this, God greatly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every other name. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. The Passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Jesus went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to where there was a garden into which he and his disciples entered. Judas, his betrayer, also knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas got a band of soldiers and guards from the chief priests and the Pharisees and went there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus knowing everything that was going to happen to him, went out and said to them, Whom are you looking for? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am. Judas, his betrayer, was also with them. When he said to them, I am, they turned away and fell to the ground. So he again asked them, Whom are you looking for? They said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am. So if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill what he had said. I have not lost any of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its scabbard. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father gave me? So the band of soldiers, the tribune, and the Jewish guards seized Jesus, bound him, and brought him to Annas first. He was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had counseled the Jews that it was better that one man should die rather than the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Now the other disciple was known to the high priest, and he entered the courtyard of the high priest with Jesus. But Peter stood at the gate outside. So the other disciple, the acquaintance of the high priest, went out and spoke to the gatekeeper 
and brought Peter in. Then the maid, who was the gatekeeper, said to Peter, You are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the guards were standing around a charcoal fire that they had made, because it was cold and were warming themselves. Peter was also standing there keeping warm. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I have spoken publicly to the world. I've always taught in a synagogue or in the temple area where all the Jews gather. And in secret, I have said nothing. Why ask me? Ask those who heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the temple guards standing there struck Jesus and said, Is this the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing there keeping warm. And they said to him, You are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the one whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Didn't I see you in the garden with him? Again Peter denied it, and immediately the cock crowed. Then they brought Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium. It was morning, and they themselves did not enter the praetorium in order not to be defiled so that they could eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and said, What charge do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. At this, Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews answered him, We do not have the right to execute anyone. In order that the word of Jesus might be fulfilled, that he said, indicating the kind of death, he would die. So Pilate went back into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own or have others told you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom does not belong to this world. If my kingdom did belong to this world, my attendants would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not here. So Pilate said to him, Then you are a king? Jesus answered, You say I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? When he had said this, he again went out to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at Passover. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this one, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a revolutionary. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him scourged. And the soldiers wove a crown out of thorns and placed it on his head and clothed him in a purple cloak. And they came to him and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him repeatedly. Once more, Pilate went out and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. 
So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple cloak. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the guards saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Now when Pilate heard this statement, he became even more afraid, and went back into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? Jesus did not answer him. So Pilate said to him, Do you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power to release you, and I have the power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me if it had not been given to you from above. For this reason, the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Consequently, Pilate tried to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release him, you are no, not a friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard those words, he brought Jesus out and seated him on the judge's bench in the place called Stone Pavement, in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was preparation day for Passover, and it was about noon. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he handed him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and, carrying the cross himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Now many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four shares, a share for each soldier. They also took his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top down. So they said to one another, Let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it will be. In order that the passage of scripture might be fulfilled that says, They divided my garments among them, and for my vesture they cast lots. This is what the soldiers did. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife, the wife of Clopas, and Mary of Magdala. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple there whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. After this, aware that everything was now finished, in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, Jesus said, 
I thirst. There was a vessel filled with common wine. So they put a sponge soaked in wine on a sprig of hyssop and put it up to his mouth. When Jesus had taken the wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he handed over the spirit. Now since it was preparation day, in order that the bodies might not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath day of that week was a solemn one, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs be broken and that they be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and then of the other who was crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one soldier thrust his lance into his side, and immediately blood and water flowed out. An eyewitness had, has testified, and his testimony is true. He knows that he is speaking the truth, so that you also may come to believe. For this happened so that the scripture passage might be fulfilled. Not a bone of it will be broken. And again, another passage says, they will look upon him whom they have pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, secretly a disciple of Jesus for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate if he could remove the body of Jesus, and Pilate permitted it. So he came and took his body. Nicodemus, the one who had first come to him at night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about 100 pounds. They took the body of Jesus and bound it with burial cloths, along with the spices, according to the Jewish burial custom. Now in the place where he had been crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had yet been buried. So they laid Jesus there because of the Jewish preparation day, for the tomb was close by. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. On the Good Friday, we, we went through the passion narrative according to John, the beloved disciple. And obviously today we're celebrating the crucifixion of Jesus. We do that at this time in the afternoon, around three o'clock, uh, because that's historically when we believe this historic event happened. To talk about the crucifixion, there's a, uh, it's a, a unique action in the history of the world is the most important action in the history of the world, the second half of it being the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Um, so there's kind of like infinite layers to what's happening here. So I want to just talk from the perspective of Jesus being fully God and fully man. That's the Christian understanding of who Jesus Christ is. He's this, uh, he is God and he is born unto earth and takes on full human nature and full divine nature. And these two natures are able to be compatible together, which is uh, a claim of Christianity that human nature and divine nature are compatible with one another, which is why we can grow in holiness. We can uh, do things in God's will because our human nature, our flesh, our souls, our bodies are compatible with the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus is going to the cross, he's going as someone who's fully human and fully divine. Uh, this also kind of is a little different than some other religions. Some, some religions believe that God doesn't let his prophets suffer or doesn't let them experience something that's difficult. And uh, Christianity does allow, and part of humanity and divinity mixing together is uh, the Son can offer himself to the Father, the Father can offer himself to the Son, and we can offer ourselves to the Father as well through the Son. So uh, the idea of offering yourself is, um, is Christian. So I want to do first just kind of like divinely, and then in between human and divine is kind of like Jesus as a priest. So I'm going to do divine and priestly first, and then I'm going to dwell a little bit more on humanity. Uh, as, as God, Jesus is going to his death, and God can't die. It doesn't make sense. Something that's ever living is going to die. And so as God, um, he's not able to be non-existent. And so there's this idea of Jesus Christ is bigger than death and is bigger than the entire world, was at the beginning of creation, is co-eternal with the Father. And so there's this impossibility that's happening, and there's this uh, concept of he's infinitely bigger than the situation that's happening. So as God, uh, he's, he's allowing himself to enter into this suffering, and he's, he's taking on this humility, but there's still a, a logical impossibility of, of God not existing, of, of one of the persons of God ceasing to exist. So there is this incredible power that's allowing itself to be humble, but at the same time is infinite and is way bigger than the situation that's happening. As priest, um, kind of priest, when we use the word priest, in any religion, priest is someone that offers things, sacrifices for people to God. So usually a priest acts on behalf of people to God. And Jesus, uh, there's, there's a priesthood that exists in Judaism. First there's Melchizedek, and then there's this priesthood of uh, the tribe of Levi, and the priesthood specifically of Aaron's descendants. Aaron is the brother of Moses who helps with the Exodus. So all those descendants are in the tribe of Levi and they're priests. And so they can offer uh, in a special way sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. So Jesus is going as a priest, uh, someone, he's not a Levite, but he's, he's this different priest because he is God and he's able to offer a sacrifice. So this isn't just him going to the cross. This is him offering a sacrifice for everybody else. Um, and it, it roots into almost the entire Jewish tradition and history. Uh, when Jesus says, 
He celebrates the Passover meal. The Passover lamb is slain. There's no lamb served at the dinner. Jesus becomes this Passover lamb. Jesus drinks wine on the cross, representing the finishing of this Paschal sacrifice and allows himself to offer himself, both as priest and victim, on the cross. And so Jesus is doing a priestly action to save everybody. The third aspect I want to look at is this human aspect. So he's also fully human. And to be a human marching towards your death is a very interesting concept and a scary concept, very scary. And we look at, uh, yesterday I talked about the apostles and what it was like as, as some great divine event is about to happen, kind of darkness creeps in and what that feels like to be stirred up in this divine action. So all kinds of good and evil are coming and temptations are coming at once and the apostles act in different ways. And I talked about Peter getting overconfident and then underconfident and Judas, uh, he gets overconfident and underconfident as well, which, which ends in um, him taking his own life, not able to handle the, the stress of what it feels like to have that type of temptation. And Jesus is, uh, in his human nature, is going through a similar temptation and he goes through the garden and at the Garden of Gethsemane after the Last Supper, first he's at the Last Supper, and he does all these things so he can be consoled humanly. He goes to visit his friends at Bethany, Lazarus, Martha, Mary. He has this Last Supper. He's eating a ritual meal with his disciples, his close group. He washes their feet and is kind of like offering himself to them in the way of service and offers himself to them in the way of his body and blood. And so kind of this, this method in his human nature of going through a ritual, staying in communion with the Father, staying in line of charity, staying in line of uh, kind of drawing the attention away from himself. He's the one who's dying, but he keeps giving attention to his apostles. And then when he's giving these, this big, beautiful discourse before the end of his life, he gives examples of what's going to happen, gives examples of what's going to happen after he leaves, and he has this incredible anxiety, and he asks God to take this cup away from him, which is a superhuman thing to do as well. When a very uh, dangerous, scary difficulty is coming towards us, we want to know why, or we want to know what's going to happen here, we want to know how is this going to finish, and does it make sense, is the sacrifice worth it? And he's trying to talk to the Father, and he's praying to the Father like he always does, which is, again, a rhythm he's typically in. But he starts to sweat these drops of blood because he is still trying to know, as humans want to know, how this is going to turn out. He knows he's about to go to the cross. One of the lines that was in the Gospel today was, Everyone's screaming, if you release him, you are no friend of Caesar's. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. If you release him, you are no friend of Caesar's. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So this is um, talking about Jesus' humanity and this confidence he gains uh, by always being in communion with the Father, always listening to the Father, always talking to the Father, and also being a servant to his friends. He gains this incredible freedom to be able to do whatever his Father is asking him because he completely trusts him. On the other hand, you have all these characters who are doing the opposite, and specifically Caesar or um, Pontius Pilate. 
When everyone yells to Pontius Pilate, if you release him, you are no friend of Caesar's. Anyone that makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Pontius Pilate demonstrates that he's not free. Jesus Christ is completely free in his ability to discern God's will and trust the Father. Caesar, if you oppose, uh, if you oppose Caesar as Pontius Pilate, you lose everything that you worked for. Uh, he's not free to give up everything. He's not free to say, this doesn't make sense. He's not free to make a completely open decision. This person's innocent. I shouldn't try them. This person hasn't done anything wrong. I shouldn't condemn them to death. But he can't do that. And that's a really scary thing because once we start to get into sin and once we start to make an, an allegiance or an alliance with sin, then sin holds us captive to the system that we entered into. So for Pontius Pilate, he's a governor for Caesar, for the Roman Empire. And he can't contradict Caesar or the Roman Empire, even if it's contrary to truth and contrary to reality and contrary to eternal life. He gets stuck into that. Uh, the same is true. Uh, we see two thieves on each side of the cross. One thief is able to give up everything and ask God, and he gets eternal life. And the other thief is stuck into his thieving mentality, and he can't let go of the idea of him trying to steal things and everybody trying to steal things from him. And so he's locked into uh, this framework of sin that he's, that he's bought into. Peter gets locked into a little bit of a framework when he slices the servant's ear off. And, and Jesus corrects him immediately and says, this is not the correct thing to do. You need to completely let this thing happen. If I wanted legions of angels to come down, they would. Uh, there's, again, a humility in Peter. Peter is constantly making the wrong decision, but Peter is humble enough to allow himself to change and accept God's will. So Jesus accepts God's will, the Father's will, immediately, whereas Peter is able to accept it slowly after making a mistake over and over again, which for us in our humanity is a beautiful thing because we're still compatible with God and God's will, even if we're not perfect in everything we do. Uh, the last character who is locked in kind of a determinism is Satan. And uh, from the beginning, Satan rejects God's plan. Satan's upset that uh, us as humans are going to be glorified. He's jealous. And he's locked into his jealousy forever. Uh, and he can't let go of that framework. And he wants to destroy anything that kind of takes attention away from him. And this includes God when God becomes man. Satan is, is locked into this framework of destroying anything that's taking attention away from him. And so he can't freely choose or think, if I cause all this trouble and have Jesus crucified, that's going to be the destruction of death. So Satan is lacking this incredible freedom. Um, he's forced through his own actions, through the framework he bought into, to constantly attack and kill. And that attacking and killing brings about the end of his kingdom and brings about uh, the power that death has. Because Jesus is God and death is not able to hold the infinite power of God. This is a hope that we have from the cross that anyone who is oppressing us, anyone who is corrupt, anyone who is wicked, whatever wickedness they go into is, is going to allow us to be victorious over them and triumphant over them. And it's also this, this symbol of the cross. Jesus in his ultimate freedom is able to look forward towards the cross no matter what it, it's 
scares him about it, what's unknown about it, uh, what's unknown about death, how much anxiety there might be there that he's taking on all the sin of the world. He's able to just keep going there because he trusts the Father and he's totally free to do that. You even see him interact with the, the different characters in the Stations of the Cross. In the fourth station, he interacts with his mother and his mother's not trying to stop him from being crucified. His mother's just consoling him. Or the sixth station with Veronica. Veronica's not trying to stop him. Veronica's just wiping his face and aiding him in his mission. So this idea of all these people converging in God's will. But then you see the opposite. You see like station number eight, the women of Jerusalem. And the women of Jerusalem feel bad for him and don't want this to be happening. And Jesus says, don't wait for me, but weep for your children. Uh, if you're not entering into God's plan, you're going to get stuck in something else. If you're trying to preserve me because it makes you feel bad, you're going to get stuck in this framework of preserving anything that makes you feel bad if it changes. Uh, these characters all are reacting to God's will, and ultimately we see this, for me, uh, one of the most inspiring things about Christianity is, is this freedom and strength that Jesus Christ has through the darkest hour in the history of the world. He's able to talk to Pilate as if he had no authority over him whatsoever. He's able to uh, just drag his body to do God's will, and he makes his body, his physical flesh, and his, his spirit completely in conformity with God's will and do anything God asks him with no strings attached uh, because he's totally free in God's love and gives us an incredible sign of victory that we celebrate today. Let us pray, dearly beloved, for the Holy Church of God, that our God and Lord be pleased to give her peace, to guard her and to unite her throughout the whole world, and grant that, leading our life in tranquility and quiet, we may glorify God the Father Almighty. Almighty ever-living God, who in Christ revealed your glory to all nations, watch over the works of your mercy that your church spread throughout all the world, may persevere with steadfast faith in confessing your name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray also for our most holy Father, Pope Francis, that our God and Lord, who chose him for the order of bishops, may keep him safe and unharmed for the Lord's holy church to govern the holy people of God. Almighty ever-living God, by whose decree all things are founded, look with favor on our prayers, and in your kindness protect the Pope chosen for us, that under him 
the Christian people governed by you, their maker, may grow in merit by reason of their faith. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray also for our Bishop Ronald, for all bishops, priests, and deacons of the church, and for the whole of the faithful people. Almighty ever-living God, by whose spirit the whole body of the church is sanctified and governed, hear our humble prayer for your ministers, that by the gift of your grace all may serve you faithfully. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray also for our catechumens, that our God and Lord may open wide the ears of their inmost hearts and unlock the gates of his mercy, that having received forgiveness of all their sins, through the waters of rebirth, they too may be one with Christ Jesus our Lord. Almighty ever-living God, who make your church ever fruitful with new offspring, increase the faith and understanding of our catechumen, that reborn in the font of baptism, they may be added to the number of your adopted children through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray also for all our brothers and sisters who believe in Christ, that our God and Lord may be pleased as they live the truth. Together them together and keep them in his one church. Almighty ever living God, who gather what is scattered and keep together what you have gathered, look kindly on the flock of your Son that those whom one baptism has consecrated may be joined together by integrity of faith and united in the bond of charity. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray also for the Jewish people to whom the Lord our God spoke first, that he may grant them to advance in love of his name and in faithfulness to his covenant. Almighty ever-living God, who bestowed your promises on Abraham and his descendants, Graciously hear the prayers of your church that the people you first made your own may attain the fullness of redemption. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. 
Let us pray also for those who do not believe in Christ, that enlightened by the Holy Spirit, they too may enter on the way of salvation. Almighty ever-living God, grant to those who do not confess Christ that by walking before you with a sincere heart, they may find the truth and that we ourselves, being constant in mutual love and striving to understand more fully the mystery of your life, may be made more perfect witnesses to your love in the world. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. sincerity of heart, they may find the way to God himself. Almighty ever-living God, who created all people to seek you always by desiring you and by finding you come to rest, grant we pray that despite every harmful obstacle, all may recognize the signs of your fatherly love and the witness of the good works done by those who believe in you and so in gladness confess you, the one true God and Father of our human race. Through Christ our Lord. Let us pray also for those in public office that our God and Lord may direct their minds and hearts according to his will for the true peace and freedom of all. Almighty ever-living God, in whose hand lies every human heart, and the rights of the peoples. Look with favor, we pray, on those who govern with authority over us, that throughout the whole world, the prosperity of peoples, the assurance of peace, and freedom of religion may through your gift be made secure. Through Christ our Lord. that he may cleanse the world of all errors, banish disease, drive out hunger, unlock prisons, loosen fetters, granting to travelers safety, to pilgrims return, health to the sick, and salvation to the dying. Almighty ever-living God, comfort of mourners, strength of all who toil, may the prayers of those who cry out in any tribulation come before you, that all may rejoice, 
because in their hour of need your mercy was at hand. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray, dearly beloved, to God the Father Almighty, that he may raise his mighty hand to stop the spread of the coronavirus and COVID-19. Strengthen medical professionals and first responders. Grant wisdom to those making decisions for the public welfare. And restore the sick and those who are afraid to health and peace. Almighty ever-living God, we beg you to hear us as we devoutly raise our petitions to you and graciously turn away the pandemic of disease that afflicts us so that mortal hearts may recognize that these scourges proceed from sin that sickens us and cease only when we implore your divine mercy. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Behold the wood of the cross on which hung the salvation of the world. Come, let us At this time, if you have your cross at home, you may venerate it by touching it or kissing it or giving it some sign of reverence.
At the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Let us pray. Almighty, ever-living God, who have restored us to life by the blessed death and resurrection of your Christ, preserve in us the work of your mercy, that by partaking of this mystery, we may have a life unceasingly devoted to you through Christ our Lord. Amen. Before the final blessing, a reminder that the Easter Vigil is Saturday at 8 p.m., and Easter Sunday Mass is at 11 a.m. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Bow down for the blessing. May abundant blessing, O Lord, we pray, descend upon your people who have honored the death of your Son in the hope of their resurrection. May pardon come, comfort be given, holy faith increase, and everlasting redemption be made secure through Christ our Lord.